Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As I looked at that patchwork of names up on the federal building wall, I thought to myself, it looked like some kind of strange quilt. And I thought, aha. I got a text the other night from a friend of mine who I hadn't heard from in a while, Cleve Jones. Perhaps you've heard of him? Cleve was a friend of Harvey Milk's and worked closely with Harvey until his assassination in 1978. Cleve is also the creator of the AIDS Memorial Quilt, an idea that he came up with at a candlelight service for Harvey in 1985. That year was the first time President Reagan said AIDS in public, although the virus had been discovered in 1981. That year, Ryan White, who had contracted the virus through blood transfusion, was denied entry into middle school. All of this was happening while I was growing up. Cleve reached out because he saw me on television and wanted to express how proud he was. Of course, I would not be on television if it weren't for people like Cleve. And an argument can be made that this very podcast wouldn't exist if it weren't for Cleve and those like him. The sacrifices of the generations of LGBTQ plus folks before us is something that we should always keep in mind. So enjoy the view, but never forget how we got here and whose shoulders we stand on. On this episode of Life Out Loud, we chat with legendary sports broadcaster and acclaimed documentarian Hannah Storm, as well as her daughter, who is also Hannah. The younger Hannah represents the fourth generation of the name in her family. She is also the first one to come out as queer, introducing a new conversation around the dinner table. We talk about what it's like for Hannah Ford to grow up with a famous mother and how she uses her position as an exec in the music industry to carve out space for LGBTQ artists. We also spend some time exploring how the two Hannahs navigate this conversation with their extended family across the generations, including Hannah too, who they affectionately call Grana. We then would introduce you to my Uncle Mike, who, like Cleve, was a young man during the height of the AIDS epidemic. He was a school teacher in Michigan at the time in which being gay was a fireable offense. When Uncle Mike would go to the bars, he was afraid to touch another man for fear of being arrested. He's told me and my husband Steve numerous stories of jumping out of windows, fleeing police raids. He also talked about what it was like watching his friends, excuse me, his family, die slowly around him. The stories he, Cleve, and so many others have shared with me over the years are painful to hear, but important to know because it's part of our collective family tree. From the first episode of this season, we explore how we are not only shaped by the people in our lives, but also by their absence. I lost my friend Tony to HIV AIDS when I was in college, and not many sunsets rolled by in which I don't think of him. I have six older siblings, but Tony was the closest thing I ever had to a big brother. Just the other day, I was going through old pictures, teary-eyed, listening to Burner Boys Alone, wishing he was here to talk to. A's Memorial Quilt has grown to become the world's largest community arts project, memorializing the lives of the tens of thousands of Americans killed by AIDS. This generation of queer youth enjoy a freedom generations before could only dream of, and it's really beautiful to see. Our hope is that this season of family reminds you that those who were lost weren't faceless. They were someone's mother or father, a son or a daughter, sisters and brothers. They were part of a family too and they are missed by those left behind. We can never pay them back, but we can always try to pay it forward. That is something Hannah Ford says is important to her as she deliberates what family means to her today as well as the future. 
So I'm super excited to have this conversation for a lot of reasons, but I'm gonna start with me being basic as hell because <laughs> both of you are named Hannah and a lot of people obviously are used to hearing men being named after fathers or grandfathers and such, but it's not quite as usual in American culture today. So my first question to you, um, mom Hannah or Hannah mother, or <laughs> yeah. I don't know, how to, we'll figure out how to differentiate. Hannah mom. Hannah mom. Just don't call me old Hannah. <laughs> I will never call you old Hannah. Can you okay. walk us through the lineage of your first name down to your daughter who's also with us today as a guest? Yeah, so we had, um, so my grandmother's name was Hannah, Hannah Grasberger. And then my mom took her mom's name, which was really interesting and unusual when you figure how far back in the day that was, right? So then my mom is Hannah Storen. Right. We call her Grana. Grana. That makes sense, right? Grandma and Hannah. And then she wanted to name me Hannah. Makes sense. I didn't know, you know, if I was going to have a boy or a girl any of the three times that we had kids. But, you know, we decided and my husband really wanted to that if we had a girl that it would be Hannah. So she did try to change her name a couple of times because she really <laughs> wasn't down with the whole thing when she was younger, right, Han? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a lot. Like, you know, I just wanted to be unique. And I guess back in like your day, Hannah was like kind of a cool, edgy name. There's, you know, quite a few Hannahs. Now I feel like I have to name my kid Hannah, regardless of <laughs> the gender in some capacity. <laughs> but uh, I do love it. I've grown to not want to ever change my name, especially since dad gave us um, the alliteration with the Hicks, with Hannah Hicks. Yeah. And Did you feel any pressure? And this is for Hannah Four. Um, I found out later in life that my son, LZ, felt a lot of pressure actually carrying my name because I had a public face, right? People knew who I was, mm -hmm. my writing, television, et cetera. Did you feel that as well growing up, an added pressure being named directly after your mom, who's a huge television star? Honestly, not really. I kind of just used that like more as like, I don't know, like inspiration in a way. Like, mm. I don't know. I was like, my, my mom was always such a badass um, growing up and just like, you know, seeing her not ever sacrifice like her career and like what she wanted to accomplish um, at the expense of like being a good mom either. So a great mom, not just a good mom. So yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't really ever feel that pressure because even though my parents are always, you know, kind of pushing me into the sports direction, whether that's like playing sports or, you know, just kind of like anything having to do with sports, I did really want to be an actress and I feel like I always just really was able to like separate the like Hannah Hicks from like mom because she was just mom to me, you know, it wasn't like I was thinking of her any sort of way. So I feel like that's probably why I just didn't really feel a lot of pressure. Mom Hannah? Yeah. Did you feel, you know, that you were putting something on your daughter by giving her your name, understanding what you were in terms of me in the media? No, because I don't think I've ever been that self-aware, like, you know, or that obsessed with, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, not self-aware, but like, I haven't been like that obsessed with like, my, I mean, my, my daughters are always be like, God, mom, you're really not that famous. Right. Because, you know, I mean, when you compare it to truly famous people, like we're not. So that was like a hilarious line always growing up. Honestly, I think until like later in high school when boys, like some of the boys in high school were like, oh, yeah, I know like your mom and dad are, you know, I don't think like any of it really phased them. It was just our jobs were just a conduit to meet the people on High School Musical or American Idol or, you know, whatever the whatever the right. hot thing was back in the day. Like, <laughs> that was kind of how they they perceived our jobs. Although, like, when Hannah was little, I mean, you know, she met LeBron and, you know, D. Wade and people like that. Like, so, I mean, you know, but it didn't. Hannah was not a sports fan. She still is not to this day. And that's that's just fine. That's great. Because in our house, and in our house, it's like follow your passion, you know, whatever that is, right? So, and Anna knew from when she was really, really young, I think she did want to be an actress, as did I when I was younger. Hmm. But um, she really in high school, really know that she wanted to be in music. And that was really cool to be like that purposeful at that age. And so where are you now, daughter Hannah? 
Um, like where physically, um, I'm in Los Angeles and on the east side. And yeah, I've been living out here for a minute now, I guess for like six years or no, like seven years. I'm an artist manager and producer manager and A&R, which kind of means that I just work across like all creative and like music aspects across like an artist's project. So I'm more on like the actual like music making side being like, oh, you should put out this single or like work with this producer or do this kind of remix or kind of stuff like that. What sort of music are you working with specifically? And are, are there any artists that you can perhaps share that give us an idea of just the world that you're operating in today? Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, I feel really lucky to work across like all genres and levels of artists and producers. I work on Grimes' management team. She's a very prolific electronic pop artist and DJ and producer that I've been a massive fan of for years. Dahi, who um, was just nominated for Producer of the Year at the Grammys for his work on Kendrick Lamar's album and Steve Lacey's album. And he's just a legendary producer. Um, Michael Uzaru, who is one of my favorite producers ever. And yeah, I have my own company as well with um, a crew of all female producers. You know, I've been kind of making a goal of mine is to like really improve that gender disparity that exists like in the studio and kind of like the process of making songs. So yeah, very, wear a lot of hats. It's really fun. No day is the same, which is great because I feel like there's not a lot of careers for people with ADD that they can like really enjoy and like have be fulfilling. So that's really interesting that you feel the need to be so intentional in the music industry. I mean, your mom works in the industry sports that we all know is male dominated. So for her to want to be intentional, if you will, and making sure that women have opportunities in sports, I think a lot of people can wrap their heads around that. Mm -hmm. But you're saying in the music industry is still very male dominated as well? How so? Yes. Uh, I mean, lots of parts of it. I mean, I think people are just used to like consuming like, you know, all kinds of artists because that's like truly what is, you know, popular nowadays, I guess, you know, you're seeing a lot more black artists, artists of color, LGBTQ artists who are like at the top of the charts. So I feel like people are seeing that, but they don't actually know that like 1% of all producers across like the top 100 hits for the past like few years have like one percent of those have been non-male producers wow you know even less representation for like women of color and like trans people and non-binary people so like there's just a lot to get done yeah i'm not sure that i would take this course or path if it weren't for my mom um because you know kind of seeing her do that like every single day and like literally the most male dominated field ever was really dope and it was kind of like hammered into my head as a kid so it's kind of like honestly like subconscious for me to like want to do things and like make changes in like places that you know really need that change and like advocating for those people and and telling their stories through you know i do it through music my mom does it through sports. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like similar in a way. Yeah, but also by example, you know what I mean? Like you, by by your example. Yeah, too, totally. Right? Because like if, you know, other young women see you doing it, that becomes very like inspiring and aspirational. And I feel the same way about filmmaking too, you know, as sports, like the amount of directors, especially in sports that are directing and producing are just so low. Yeah, the executive side is definitely. Um, yeah. Very similar. Totally. You've mentioned, you know, the LGBT plus community a couple of times in that in that answer. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to assume um, that that community, uh, our community is, is, is one that is, you know, first and foremost, perhaps in terms of what you're trying to Can you explain a little bit more about, you know, how you're using your position to create more spaces and opportunity for queer artists? I feel like a lot of times, like, queer artists and like producers are put in like you know certain boxes sometimes create like outside of their own box like Lil Nas X is someone that I'm like I had an opportunity to like work pretty closely with I actually got my mom like 
Um, she was background vocals on one of the songs um, in the album. Yes. No way. Yeah, so my mom technically has um, additional vocals on a Grammy-nominated album. Um, I do. But honestly, just, like, being a part of that process and, like, contributing to that project and such, like, a monumental artist. And, like, obviously you want to, like, have that in mind and create change and create beautiful art. But also it was just, like, such a conversation starter. Like, when I say that, like, I'm prioritizing, like, LGBTQ plus individuals or, you know, people are really, like, offended by that sometimes. And, like, I just think it's funny. You know, there's space for everyone. There's space for every type of queer artist, every type of, like, marginalized artist, like, in general and in whatever genre. And I think a lot of people just, like, are really threatened by that. Uh, Hannah, what is it like seeing your daughter take your example, take your life's work, and really infuse it with her own vision to try to, like, have a similar impact in a totally different field? Yeah, that's what I think is just so cool. So she's, you know, doing it her way in terms of, you know, what she's passionate about. And listen, I don't think there's anything more important than being a parent. And, you know, in my life, you know, there's nothing that I could accomplish that would be more important than my kids being self-confident and strong and also caring about others, you know, and that's a thing that I'm just super proud of Hannah because like I know that she's really smart and really driven and insanely hardworking. And, and I understand that. But also, in addition to that is this really need and want like I had to change the world. And I don't say that lightly. I know that sounds like very cliche, but you change the world in whatever world that you're in, right? And I remember asking, I graduated from Notre Dame and I remember asking, uh, you know, one of the priests there, Mm -hmm. um, this was right after graduation. I remember we were at a graduation party and I was like, I'm like going to be like a radio DJ, like this super fun job. And this is what I want to do, communications and blah, blah, blah. But I come from this kind of background of service. That was just a way of life for us, right? It was community service growing up. And then I was like, ask this priest, I'm like, am I like super shallow? Like I'm going, you know, I'm just going to be like a DJ and talk about sports. And he was like, it set me straight very quickly. And he was like, no, it's the impact that you have when you're doing that. Right. Hmm. Those are the things you love. But he said, you have an opportunity to change. You have an opportunity to inspire, you know, you have an opportunity to lead the way by example. And so I guess where being a mom, I did feel a lot of guilt working, having to travel and all of that. But right before Hannah went to college, she turned to me and she was like, you set a great example. Like, I know what it is to work hard and I'm we're fine. You know, you have to see it to be it. I do believe that. I didn't really have examples per se of like women who were doing sports. Like I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm super proud of Hannah. I think uh, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of both of you. And we're <laughs> proud of you. <laughs> hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Hannah Mom. Yeah. As the saying goes, no one knows the child quite as good as the parents, particularly the mother. So my question to you as we're having this conversation on Life Out Loud about families, did you know your daughter was queer as she was growing up or when she came out was really the first time you were actually made aware of it? I mean, factually aware of it, yes. And in my heart, I was like, it's not like I, I, I would say there was like a, a big shock or anything. I mean, I had kind of sensed it, I'd say maybe a month or two uh, before 
um, she told me in her own casual way, which was pretty funny. Um, I was at a production meeting um, for Thursday Night Football, and we had a little break. And Hannah, I just would always just, I just call her. She's really great about, she'll always pick up and talk to me, you know what I mean, if she can. And so I'm like, hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. What's going on? You know, what's going on with your social life? And Mm -hmm. she's like, I think you said something like, don't freak out. I have a girlfriend. <laughs> that was it. Oh, yeah, no, I was just I'm dating someone. Like it's a yeah. I mean, like yeah. I. But you told your cousins before you told me. Well, they were just like asking what was going on in my social life, and I was like, well, because that was like one of the things. Was like I knew one of like my little cousins was like also queer, so I like kind of wanted to say something. Like, hey, it's like okay, mm. yeah. So that's like I wanted to like say something, and I was like, yeah, like going on a date with one guy next week i'm going on a, a date with the girl next week i definitely feel like some people for some people it's like really important to like come out and like have it be like a big thing and like that's like totally valid i also think that like it, if it can be done also way that there it's like less of a big deal and i think for people it depends on who you're telling too like you know i was telling you like i have de- definitely very lucky that like I know I was going to be like accepted either way like I'm not telling like Hannah too I don't know but um my mom what did, um, yeah. what did Grana do when she found out like it's one of those things where I'm like I don't know if it's worth it like well, you haven't told her yet no she knows because of the way <laughs> I just talk about Hannah like sort of normally and I just reference things without like making a big deal like she thinks differently than we do about a lot of stuff. She's older. She knows, but she doesn't want to really talk about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that kind of a vibe. Well, let's unpack this because this is a multi-generational conversation that we're having. It is. And let's assume, you know, you you find someone and that person happens to be female and you're madly Hell in yeah. love and you want to bring this person to family functions. You want to bring them to right. Christmas or holiday dinners and things like that. Like, have you foreseen how eventually you may have to say something? Something like in case Grana goes, who is this girl that keeps hanging yeah. around? <laughs> and I have, but like Grana just hasn't been there because yeah. she kind of refuses to leave Houston. So COVID. And like I know I think it would like, you know, it kinda have to be fine. Also, like again, you know, back to what you're saying before, like she I think she feels especially tied to me because we have the same name. I feel like there's a kind of like only so much she could like absorb say. Yeah. But also who knows if she would even like process it at this point i don't know at the end of the day like she's also like this wouldn't even be the first thing that she'd be like i don't know like you know like i've like gotten like all my like tattoos (laughs) well like you know or like she's like you're not gonna want that (laughs) the conversation in terms of what's happening in our country over the last few years when it comes to the hundreds and hundreds of anti-LGBTQ plus bills Mm. um, circulating around the nation. And a lot of them are originating from your Mm. home state, Hannah, of Texas. Yeah. Um, When you you hear about what is happening legislatively and you think about your family and specifically, you know, Hannah Mm Four, you know, what kind of goes through your head as a mom? You know, I think the one thing, and and I do check in with Hannah on this. In fact, we had a conversation about it um, last week was, is your child going to be safe? I don't want my child to be, any of my children to be hurt by the choices that they make. You know what I mean? And by other people dictating what they think about those choices. And as a mom, you know, you're, you're like a mama bear, right? You're like super protective. So like, I know that Hannah is in California and I know that she's in the music industry and I know that she's in a place where she is accepted and celebrated and safe for her choices. But if you did put her somewhere else and listen, in any, in another country, in another era of time, in another state, Mm -hmm. right. You know, I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel as, as comfortable for her. And that's, That's really sad because we're talking about segments of our population and we're talking about, you know, a small group of people who assumes that they have some kind of moral authority and which does not exist. Right. And and truly making life dangerous, you know, and having people and this goes to much broader themes that we've all experienced, of course, during the last administration is, you know, the danger of hate. Mm -hmm. Right. And the danger of fear. 
And when hate and fear are infused into a group of people as, you know, a moral or political ideology, it becomes very, very dangerous. Yeah, I think about that kind of thing a lot. How does it impact your relationship with friends or with other family members who perhaps maybe voting for some of these elected officials who are introducing yeah. these bills and passing them through. Yeah, it has been a major point of contention. And I've gotten into, you know, a lot of battles, certainly with, you know, my mom. Um, but, you know, I would say the last few years have gotten into some pretty tense conversations with people in our family. But understanding that respectful dialogue is the best. I, I have a friend, um, one of my best friends, who's, I would say is like, I guess you could label her conservative, but she's constantly asking me questions. And we're constantly having dialogue, like all the time. We've been able to really maintain a great friendship because we we talk it through, like everything through in a respectful way. And I'm like, I think, you know, if you can have those relationships and populate your life, not everyone has to think the exact same way you do. We, in our family, our nuclear family, we don't all think the exact same way about things, but we talk about them. Um, and sometimes it gets more heated than others and then sometimes, but it is in a, you know, a respectful fashion. I think if you don't talk about it and you just kind of cut people out of your life, it's kind of a lose-lose, right? In that way, because you're really letting other people sort of, and other circumstances dictate important relationships in your life. What is it like for you, Hannah, for to hear sort of the intellectual gymnastics that your mom has to go through across the generations, across her different plane of friends. One, because it's what she feels is inherently right in her heart, but also because she's fighting for you. I definitely feel similarly when like thinking about my community and kind of like all sorts of issues of, you know, that are country and world is is facing like I do think it's really important to like have those conversations with your friends who like you know do and don't agree like I definitely would and have cut people off from my life and you know I've had those tense conversations and it hasn't always like and like love at those end of those conversations is like not always the goal for me it's just being around people and also being able to you know like educate people if they don't know something or like have conversations that like maybe I don't know something and I think your generation has a lot more patience for like certain things but I do think it's important at the same time to like look at like both sides of not I guess sacrificing like what you yeah believe and like I'm not gonna I wouldn't have someone in my life that is That's right. um in any way like thinking less of anyone because of like any parts of their identity or anything like that Exactly. It's, it's what's the value of that relationship to you. And if it's an important friendship and something you want to maintain, and if that person is open and honest and willing to talk to you about things and all of that, you know, that's one thing. But if, you know, anytime a relationship becomes, you know, toxic or, or not of value or is hurting you in some way, you know, I always, you know, use that analogy about, you know, weeding out your garden, right? <laughs> like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you just can't, you cannot maintain those relationships for whatever reason. And you've learned that the hard way. I have learned that and still continue to learn that in business. Yeah. Um, the hard way, because we're naturally like really trusting, you know, giving people by nature. And, you know, sometimes you, things have to come to an end. I want to go back and revisit two words that Hannah Force said that I filed away, but I wanted to make sure I came back to because I was like, going, ooh, and that was my kids. Yeah. You want to be a mom? Talk to me about this family. Like, what are you envisioning for yourself, Hannah Four? So for me, I've always said, like, I could be down, but... <laughs> I could be down for kids, you know? I'm not trying to have a handmade tale situation where I'm like running through the woods, like trying to save my kid. Like, I'm sorry, like that is not worth it to me. It really depends on like the state of the world and like the climate and like, am I going to bring in a human? And I don't know if it'll mean the same thing that it does like right now, honestly. Hmm. So you know, with the state of the world, I'm down potentially. Will that be in a long time? Yeah. I'm definitely someone that is like right now my 
focus is my career. All of that is something that I just is so far, like so far from from where I am now. Yeah. And I think, you know, Hannah, I was like eight years older than Hannah is when I had kids. I mean, I got married, you know, in my 30s and had kids, started having kids at like 34. So, I mean, I... I wasn't thinking of it either. You know, I was thinking of my my career. So it does it does seem to be we'll see. Stay tuned, right? <laughs> I'm curious, mom Hannah, you can answer first, Hannah for a second with this question, but it's the same question, which is <laughs> was the putting off, if you will, of getting married and having kids solely about you being focused in on your career, or was it about the fact that you knew once you got married and had kids, you may not have a career. No, it was about, I never would have ever gotten married to anyone who was not supportive of my career. So that was like a non-starter, right? So I would say what took me so long is I kept dating guys and like in the end, when it would get like all the way down to it, they really couldn't handle my career. <laughs> so then that would break up. I'm curious, how would that show up? How would that kind of attitude show up in your dating life? I mean, it would show up pretty far down the road sometimes. And I'd be like, wait a minute, where were you hiding this insecurity? <laughs> you like, know what, what, I mean? what would they say? Can you give us an example of what someone may say that gives you like the red flag? Oh my God. Um, yeah, it was, you know, I just kind of want somebody at, at home when I come home, like with dinner. <laughs> on the table, I was like, oh. not gonna be me. Oh, which is actually ironic and hilarious because I'm, a, I'm an insane cook. No, yeah, you do both. Dan eats better than anybody. But you know, I mean, like, I'm like, really? What, like, are we in like the 50s here? Like what's happening? Or like, you know, I, I just can't, I, you know, I can't handle like all the publicity that you're in the public eye or, you know, I don't want to have kids, you know, all those kinds of things. But I had always heard from men like, I don't want to hire a woman to do sports. I'll hire a woman over my dead body. My sports director, he he can't work with a woman. My audience doesn't want to see, you know, I've heard all sorts of stuff. But it is different when you hear it from like a, you know, someone that you care about in a relationship. So finally, Dan, Hannah's dad, my husband, Dan, mm -hmm. you know, I want somebody who, you know, has a life, has a career, like something to talk about. And we met at work. So it really... It really did work out well. So for me, it was really about finding sort of a, a partner that really got what I wanted to do, was going to be 100% okay with it, and has been. You know, I mean, we both have major jobs. And we, you know, took turn. We were never both gone at once at the same time. I, I can't imagine having to, like, run things by a man you know, or, my, or my partner. I can't imagine having to ask for permission. Mm -hmm. And because that's completely different than compromising in a relationship. So Hannah, for as you're thinking or not thinking about what family would look like for you, yeah. um, how has witnessing your parents' relationship and evolution throughout the years informed what you may or may not want in your family? Oh, I mean, it's like, it's been everything. Like I am could not be more grateful. Like I think I have literally like the perfect parents if that exists and I feel so blessed to say that like the amount of you know my friends who have not been able to you know witness that in their lives like not only having like you know two happy parents but two parents who love their kids more than anything but also like love their careers almost as much both of them just like looking out for each other as well throughout like the whole madness of like parenting and like being lit sportscasters and i feel like that was just something that like I am so grateful but I feel like you'll never be able to like truly know how grateful because like I just haven't known anything else I'm really really lucky in that respect what does your instincts tell you Hannah for as you as you date as you contemplate um adulthood now and 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 trying to figure out how you're going to build the rest of your life do you think you find yourself more compatible in terms of someone that's going to balance your career with the women that you've dated or with the men that you've dated? Are you like going, I find that men tend to, to think about my career more so like this, whereas the women are more like this? Like, have you have you noticed any differences that way? No, um, I've had it on both sides where people can't really keep up because I'm, you know, similar to my mom, like always traveling, always out. I work a lot and like 
honestly, like right now, like that is my love. Like I abide by this like Lady Gaga quote that's like, your career will never um, wake up in the morning and tell you that doesn't love you. <laughs> and like, I that's just how I am. I've always really attracted to passionate people who are good at what they do um, and love what they do. So that's like always been the number one factor for me. But that doesn't always mean that, you know, they'll still agree with and, and vibe with your lifestyle. So that was like one of this ex I had before she was like, you know, not really like wanting to like go out. Like she couldn't really like hold her own in like certain conversations and like, you know, just wasn't really or like certain settings too. like, you know, I'm going to be off talking to like, I'm always on even when I'm like out, I'm like working because the music business is a very social relationships based industry. So whoever I'm with is like not going to be able to like, you can't like hold my hand, like you're going to have to kind of fend for yourself. And like, I know that that's savage, but like, it's what it is if you're going to be with me at this point in my life. My girlfriend now really understands that um, and is amazing in whatever settings. And she also is, you know, a screenwriter and like a fine artist and she like makes clothes and like she's a extremely passionate and talented person. And she like always has her own thing going on. And so like even when we like work together, like we're like literally sitting in silence for like seven hours. And that's just like amazing to have. You know, there's, it's not without its issues for sure. Um, and, you know, you just really need to be able to communicate because, you know, it's a relationship. Like you make sacrifices and like you, you know, really have to like listen to that person and like what they need. And like you have to consider what you need too. So it's definitely like not been easy, but I know for a fact that like I'll always need someone who is like independent themselves um, and like isn't intimidated by my like lifestyle or like what I'm doing. Mom Hannah, how are you dealing with the empty nest syndrome? Wow. Oh my God. Elsie and I talk about this all the time. <laughs> oh. I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. I was terrified when Hannah went to college, then Ellery went to college. And then when Riley, my youngest, went to college, I was like, my life is over. My life is over. I would, I would, I was counting down. I'd be like up at night and I would be like, Oh my God, I, I have no identity. I am not a full person. Um, all my kids are gone. Like what is happening here? Um, this is, this is the end of my whole life. I mean, I really was like, what is going to happen to me? I have no purpose. So it's been, um, hasn't been that bad as nearly as bad as that. Um, actually, you know, COVID, I think everybody was able to come back home for a while you know, as hard as it was for them, you know, it was kind of nice for me. It softened the blow, I guess, a little bit mm -hmm. of everybody being gone. And, and that was a really, in some ways, a very, a blessed time, you know, because we were able to be together and really hang. You loved COVID. I know. We were like cooking. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to say that lightly because... <laughs> but I I love the togetherness of being together. My kids know that I like freak out when for holidays and everything when we're together. Hannah's great because she'll come home for extended periods of time. I bribe her with food, puzzles, um, her favorite cocktail. <laughs> I try to wait on her hand and foot as much as I can um, <laughs> just to get her to stay around. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's funny. The thing is, though, like, I know it, like, I wouldn't even, like, you know, I would make dinner. Like, I do make dinner when I'm there. But, like, you also just, like, you so much joy. Like, so much joy. So that is why I'm like, okay. You, you don't want to take her joy away, so you let her do all the cooking. I do. I'm like, I'm like, listen, you just do the puzzle, and I'll do the cooking, and we'll have some wine, and we'll hang out. Like, that's all I need. That, I'm really simple. Yeah. And then, thank goodness, my middle daughter moved to New York recently to start a jewelry designing business and really make her way in a brand new career. Oh, wow. And then my little one just got a job in New York, too. So, and Hannah comes back and forth. So, it is, it does get lonely because it's just me and Ozzy, my dog, a lot because Dan travels. So, I, I'm not going to lie that it gets lonely, but I just dial up my friends, man. I'm like, all right, what am I doing Tuesday night? What do I do Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? 
Plus, I work a ton. I just signed a new four-year contract. So, hey. I mean, I work a lot. Congratulations. But I'm really happy about that. And then, you know, I did, I fill my time up with work. So, I just did Grails, you know, directed that series for Hulu, six-part series. Shameless plug. Yeah, that was having a second full-time job. Mm-hmm. So, Hannah was along for the whole ride of that. So, I, I do yeah. work a lot. I mean, what can I say? Hannah, for understanding, you know, that your mom is, you know, processing or navigating this empty nest syndrome. Do you ever feel guilty not being home or at least not being in New York? I mean, no, I don't feel guilty because like, I know that you want the best for me. I've also explained several times why I can't, I fully move from LA. Um, But I mean, I obviously like, yeah, I always want to go home. I always want to see my family. I love New York as well. And I work a lot in New York. I'll come back like fairly often as like often as I can. And then, yeah, whenever my parents for, have something that's like work related out here too, we'll, work. Um, yeah. we'll link up. So last question for both of you. And I really appreciate the the generosity in terms of your stories and the time that you've, you've given us. So thank you both for that. Um, but I, I do want to end on a, on, a, on a funny note because I, I, I did think it was, it was kind of interesting that you said that you would name your child Hannah regardless of gender, Hannah right. four. And yeah. I get where you're coming from with that. Yeah. But I, I am kind of curious if your child is biologically male, are you really going to name the child Hannah? And if so, how are you going to safeguard him, them, from people's you know response to that? Honestly, depending on the state of things and also just like the energy like it might be a middle name it might be a thing that like i attach or like it's gonna be there in some way shape or form regardless like what hannah is i haven't really thought of that though though honestly um but i know that what i can do to like keep on pushing the world like into that place you know, my hope is that like kid identifying as a boy could show up to school and be like, yo, I'm Hannah. Everyone's like, what's up? You know, like, so that's like what I hope, obviously. I love when there are, you know, traditionally feminine names and given to, you know, male kids and vice versa. Like, I love that. I think it's really cool where the boy, the boy Hannah's at, like, let's go, you know? But I also do love that it's like the fact that it's all been like passed down by women. I think is really dope. So maybe if I had a boy, I would wait, see if I had a girl. If not, I'm like, oh, actually, we're like adding in a name, but um, we can we can make some edits maybe later, depending on the situation. <laughs> Mom, Hannah, you could do our celebrity name, me and Dad, and call call the kid Dana. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, yeah. um, Mom, Hannah, would the energy of the name change if your grand boy was named Hannah as opposed to your granddaughter? I don't think so, because we're just I don't know the name and my it means grace, by the way in Hebrew is one of the meanings of it. Hmm. I also think it's cool because it's a palindrome. It's spelled the same backwards and forwards. And um, no, I think it's super cool because of the the people, you know, like all all three of my kids have family names, right? For a reason, like intentionally. And they all, they have a people or a value or something associated with that name, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Hannah's child will have a totally badass mom and grandmother. <laughs> so I would say, hey. <laughs> and Gunkle, don't forget Gunkle. And Gunkle, exactly. <laughs> so like, look where that came from. Or, you know, I mean, kids' names have tons of iterations along the way and they end up being some version of whatever their original name is. But like, I mean, if you look even in history, like Hannah was saying, like, uh, like Leslie used to be a very popular man's name. Right. It's funny. I was the only Hannah around, like the only one. Like if you look in a baby book where it says Hannah, it's, it literally says like Hannah Storm. Right. For, <laughs> it did that for years. Now there's like Hannah's everywhere. I mean, Hannah's business partner's name is Hannah. Yeah. She's like, wow. she works with a Hannah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like everywhere. So maybe it would be cool to have a boy named Hannah. That makes it that makes it even a little cooler than just a, like another another female Hannah in the world. So true. <laughs> right. So true. Yeah. Well, here's working towards a world in which a boy named Hannah will have just as much grace and peace as a girl named Hannah. Oh, I love it. Facts. I love it. All the Hannahs in between. Yeah. All the Hannahs in between. 
Yeah. Thank you two so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much. I really, really do appreciate it. I really love the conversation with the Hannahs because I love having conversations across generations. And speaking of generations, I need to tell you about a family member who is very close to me and I love a lot by the name of Uncle Mike. Now, Uncle Mike isn't my biological uncle. As a matter of fact, he's not my husband's biological uncle either. Um, but he is someone that our family has come to know as Uncle Mike. And you know, I love him very, very much. And he's so much a part of what I consider family that he actually came to visit us one day. And I sent a car to pick him up from the airport. And I just told the guy to pick up my Uncle Mike. He calls me up. And he says he can't find him anywhere. I call Uncle Mike. Uncle Mike says he's standing right there. They can't find each other. Well, I forgot to tell the driver that Uncle Mike was white. And so he was looking for a black older gentleman. And he kept looking past my actual Uncle Mike. That is how much I consider him family. That I, It didn't even dawn on me to even separate him in that way, which probably also means that I'm, I'm a little crazy. Anyway, now my Uncle Mike is not very tech savvy. In fact, we tried to send him several links of Zoom and other ways of connecting. And eventually we just gave up and decided to just to call him. Now the poor guy you're going to hear is coughing a lot because he's dealing with COVID. But don't worry, he's doing fine he just has a little cough and he is tough as nails as a matter of fact uncle mike has been fighting for lgbtq plus rights since the 50s and 60s and 70s so he's not just tough as nails but he is someone who has seen the worst in this country and has been able to live on the other side and talk about it so i'm really really excited to share this conversation with you all with my uncle mike hello hello uncle mike Yes. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I know nothing about computers except how to get on and pay my bills. <laughs> it is quite all right. So the reason why I wanted you on for this episode in particular, because we spent a lot of time talking about the generational gap, you know, Gen Z yeah. or Gen X to, I guess you would be considered a boomer or are you a late? Oh, I'm older than a boomer. You're older than a boomer. What's before a boomer? <laughs> the silent generation. Well, you're not silent. How did that work? <laughs> That's what we were called. <laughs> because the boomers didn't start till 1946. Okay, so you're the silent generation. 1944. Yep, mm -hmm. we're the silent generation. Boy, is there generational differences. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're witnessing in terms of the generational differences as it pertains to our community? Okay, I'll tell you the biggest thing we have, and, and Bill and I have talked about this a lot. You know, we were in protests. I couldn't do much because I was teaching until after I got done with teaching. But then in the March on Washington, we marched in Lansing, we did all this other stuff. And one was to get rid of that term queer. And we were talking about how both of us find it tremendously offensive. And I don't understand this whole thing about genders. I, I'm getting old, Elsie. I don't understand the stuff about genders. It's okay. There's, there's two genders, but this pansexual or this fluid sexuality has me so confused. It's unreal. And the gay flag, which used to be the rainbow, and suddenly they started adding all these other colors to it. It's like some of us older people, just, we don't know where that, what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, I think that what you just talked about is something that a lot of people are thinking about and experiencing because there is a generational gap. You know, there's this idea that the queer community or the LGBTQ plus community is like this one big functioning piece that's in symmetry or connection with one another. But the generational thing still impacts us as well. And so I'm glad that you're talking about some of your discomfort and confusion with the terms because I'm sure there are other members of, of the silent generation and other generations, oh, whether they're, they're queer or not. And we talk about it and get really are offended with the use of the word queer. Do you see why people embrace it now as opposed to back when you were younger? Uh, no, I don't. The word queer is odd, unusual, weird, and it's very insulting. And I can, in a way, appreciate because they say, well, they want to own it rather than someone else owning it. But for those of us who fought for years to have that eliminated, it becomes offensive. 
I don't know if, if I'm making any sense. No, no, no. You absolutely are making sense. I mean, there are a lot of words, I think, across a lot of different groups, you know, whether they're racial or gender or sexual orientation, like religious, etc. There are a lot of words that were used at a time that were offensive that have evolved for a variety of reasons, but people are still conflicted even through the evolution. I mean, like the N word obviously is one of them, but there are other words as well that, you know, people are conflicted about and it stretches across generations. Yeah. And I realize that it's much more open today. You know, Bill and I were talking about, we talk about this stuff a lot, this whole generational change and how life when we were growing up in the sixties was really so much more exciting than it is now because it was all underground. You mean the, the gay, gay culture, life. queer culture, yes. Yes. Especially the leather scene. That was really underground. And now it's mainstream, and so now you don't feel like it's as cool? <laughs> it's not mainstream, but they turned it in, like IML turned into a big circuit party. It's, it's nothing like it was. It started out, okay, every leather club had a run. They were called runs because people came on motorcycles. All right? But they had their entertainment. Well, IML started as Second City's entertainment. They started the International Mr. Leather Contest. It was their entertainment. And then Chuck Winslow they built it into the IML today. Well, now it's a big circuit party. It's just change has happened so much. I, I don't know if the older we get, the more resistant we get to change or what. Well, here's a question for you. You know, you're a young man in your 20s and 30s, and the world is not necessarily making any space for you or your friends or the people that you love or go out with, and they're resistant to change. And you obviously felt a need to sort of push for change. So how do you view where you are today with the word change versus where you were in your youth with the word change? For instance, when everyone was celebrating gay marriage, I refused to celebrate it. I was a teacher. If I had gone out and got married, I would have been fired the next day and lost my teaching certificate because you could not be gay in in teaching. We were not protected under the Elliott Larson bill in the state of Michigan. It could have been thrown out of an apartment. Like Hillary Clinton said in 2016, what good does it do if you can get married, if you can be fired at noon and kicked out of your apartment at 6 o'clock that night, which could happen. So it was like the horse before the carriage. Marriage was there, but the equality wasn't there. And we still don't have equality. It can be taken away at any time. Like I used to tell my kids when I was teaching government, close your eyes. What you see is guaranteed to you. Anything else, and I'm going to paraphrase the Bible, the court giveth, the court can taketh away. And you better make sure you vote because your rights can be taken away at any time. So I guess that's what I think because I can see it happening again. Final question for you. When it's all said and done, when you think back on your life in Michigan, or just your life in general, what do you want people to remember? About me? Yeah. Hopefully that I was a good person. I mean, did I do a whole lot of accomplishing of stuff? I don't know, but I was always there to help people. So that's what, that's what I hope to remember. I was always, always a helpful person. And what more can you want? What more can you want? Life Out Loud with LZ Granderson is a production of ABC Audio. Produced by Trevor Hastings, Lakia Brown, Brenda Salinas-Baker, LZ Granderson, Cameron Shatavian, and me. Our executive producer is Laura Mayer. And a big shout out to Ariel Chester, Josh Cohan, and Liz Alessi. I'm LZ Granderson. I'm a mom of mine. Just eat your pancakes. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>